Greetings to each one this morning in the name of our Savior. I invite you to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter five. I would assume that most of us are familiar with the scripture that I want to read that of Naaman. Naaman the Syrian, the leper. Eric, Brother Eric mentioned the fact of historical markers and also the fact that we are here today to recognize the faith of six individuals who want to give an outward expression of their faith in Jesus Christ and go and and submit themselves, subject themselves to an outward rite, a ceremony that speaks of a relationship that has transpired, that of identification. To go from a state of death, spiritually speaking, to a state of life, is quite a change. And in in Naaman's situation, what he went through and what he experienced, I venture to say he was never the same afterwards. And I'd like to challenge these six this morning. The rest of you can listen. But baptism is an outward observance of something that has transpired before. So that the life that is lived from then on is never the same again. The responses in life, the design of life, the concept of life takes on a completely different viewpoint. I'd like to read, beginning at verse 1, read to the end of verse 19. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she, that is the the little maid, said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus, saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, 
that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. He was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, Take a blessing of thy servant. But he that is Elijah said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then be, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burdens of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, that I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. It's interesting reading a narrative like this how God brought to the attention of Naaman the fact that there was healing available for one who had leprosy and life sometimes is strange we recognize as we look back in life's experiences how things transpired in the past and we didn't know God's purposes or what God was doing and we find ourselves marveling as we look back and I think Naaman was one of these 
No doubt in his economy, it costs money for healing. It generally does in our situations too. And so he fortified himself, possibly thinking that he would buy his own healing. He went to the king of Israel, was sent there by his own king. This is where the place of authority is. But God bypassed the king of Israel and made it obvious that the king is not the one, the leader or the ruler of the land is not the one that gives healing, but it is through the prophet. And God is the one who heals. And so Naaman comes, he goes to the king, he has his entourage, he has his glory, I suppose, with all his money and his changes of garments. And he goes to the king. God has Elijah hear about the situation. The end result was that Naaman goes to the prophet. Naaman made his request. And Elijah sent his servant. That is not good etiquette, if you please. At least not in the Eastern settings. Never said anything about Christ. Just gave him some instruction to watch in the River Jordan. I want you to remember this morning that Naaman was a great man. He's like we are. There's a few things in life that we need to learn and one of them is humility. You're young yet. You have lots to learn. And Naaman turned away in rage. He said, I, I, have, I have the availability of rivers in my own land. Why should I wash in this dirty Jordan? Then isn't it marvelous that somebody that was only a servant could go to Naaman and address Naaman humbly and remind Naaman if the prophet would have asked you some great thing would you have not done it? And you see we find ourselves so often in life in the same situation. It's those simple things in life that we we, we grapple with that we don't want to do. Anyhow, what's great in the Christian life. And we have our ideas. But to do the menial things, like cleaning the church house, doing the things that aren't seen, 
helping someone that is sick, doing things behind the scenes, or do we want to focus only on those things where I'll be observed? You see, this is this is this is something that we struggle with. I've been thinking of this one thing recently, lately. One of the words describing something that is so prevalently used in our societies but is so little understood. That's the word love. And I'd like to say this morning, and I've learned this over the last 60 years, that love is not necessarily an emotional thing, primarily. It is a volitional thing. We, we, We determine that this is the way God wants us to go, This is the way I'll go. And when Naaman was given given instruction as to what he was to do, it was no great thing. It was just to go and dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. And the servant said to his master, he said, if he would have asked you, if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. Wouldn't you? Why not this? So Naaman listened. Now Naaman would have been recognized by the by the uh, clothes that he wore and by the de- decorations that he had and by the medals that he had. But you know, in life, all the decorations and the medals and the everything, our 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 background and everything, doesn't really mean anything if we want to be healed from the curse of sin. He had to take it all off. And he looked the same as everybody else. That's where we come to when we come to Christ. I can imagine the servants watching him as he stripped himself of his medals and of his adornments and of his clothes did they look at each other and grin or were they amazed they were astounded he takes everything off he walks to the edge of Jordan and he goes in and he dips himself and when I think of the picture of dipping himself I think he went under the water of which baptism is a symbol going down into death with Christ he dipped himself he came up and he looked at himself not only were the leprosy spots there but he had the dirty spots too from the river Jordan and to me that is the significance of confessing our sins recognizing we lose all our background 
as it were. We're on all on the same level. We strip ourselves of our our what's the word I want? Reputation. We're all sinners. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And so the stripping takes place. We go down. And God shows us what our sins are. And we confess. We begin confessing. We're not finished yet with one thing because there's multitudes of things in our lives. And Naaman, when he come up, he was just as leprous as he was before. Elijah had said seven times, this is what we need to remember. There's more than one thing that takes place. One change that takes place in a person's life when we are identified with Christ. We become new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's, there's a lot of changes that takes place. And it's not all immediately, but it, it continues. It goes on and on and on. He goes down into the water a second time. Same old leprosy. The third time. Same old leprosy. The fourth time. And the fifth time. And the sixth time. And I'm wondering if Naaman wondered if this prophet knew what he was talking about. If he would have walked away from the river Jordan at the sixth dip, do you think he would have been cleansed? No. I'd like to encourage all of us this morning that there is a process connected with cleansing. And when we abort at any point, cleansing will not be complete. glorious thing is when he went down the seventh time, when he did what he was told to do. Listen folks this morning, when we follow through with God in every area in which he touches our lives, once we follow through, there'll be a change. There'll be a difference. scripture says when he came up the seventh time his flesh was like the flesh of a little child he didn't look like an old man anymore his skin didn't look like an old man and I venture to say all the residue of the dirty Jordan was gone as well otherwise how could he have known how could his servants have known that he was cleansed of his lepers? When God does a work of cleansing, he does a good work. And not only will we know it, and our parents know it, but those around us will know it as well. Don't short don't shortchange God. 
follow through in life. You're starting young. That's his excellent. Now follow through in life. Like Second Peter 1 says, add to your faith. You have something to do. I have something to do. And so do you. May God bless you. May God help us as older folks not to be satisfied until we've dipped the seventh time. Will you stand and pray with me? We thank you, Father, this morning for the marvelous provision and privilege which you have given to us to be your children and to enter into a relationship with you, our Creator, and secondly, as our Redeemer. I pray for these six individuals this morning that have verbalized their intent to follow you and now as they submit themselves to the external rite of water baptism. I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon their minds to follow through with what you have begun in their heart and never be satisfied with anything less than following you in all of life's activities. Help them to look to you for wisdom and for guidance and for direction. Not being satisfied with our own idea, like Naaman brought his gifts and everything that he had. But he found out that your way is so much different than our way, and your procedures are so much different than our procedures and ideas. And I pray for these six young this morning, these six applicants for baptism, that you would help them to sense that this is the reality of life in walking with you, that your ways are so much higher than our ways, and your thoughts and our thoughts, and we go down this certain path and we think this is pleasing to you, but we need to stop and ponder and think and pray and seek your face and at times you turn us to go in a different direction thank you for your word for the instructions in your word thank you this morning for the hope which you have given to us and the faith that is an expression of that hope but then Lord I pray that you would impress upon our minds that there is an outward expression then, a life that is lived to your glory, of which Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Pray for a brother that will bring the message that you would speak through him. May our hearts be open. May you be glorified, not only in this service, but in our lives from this point on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Greetings this morning in the worthy name of Jesus Christ. Appreciate what has been shared with us. Trust that we may do as he said, as, as that is be faithful to the end. I had a minister tell me one time that often we look forward to having applicants baptized and be part of the church, and then after they're there, we forget about them and I trust that that is not the case here, but it is true that it is those that are faithful to the end that will be saved. And I believe that baptism is something that is important. It is your, it is your commitment. It is your covenant you make to be faithful to God. It is your verbal expression. Appreciate the sign that is up front here where it says, Be still and know that I am God. And I believe that's at the heart of what we want to understand here this morning, that we can know God. In St. John chapter 17, in the beginning of the prayer of Jesus, he also made a statement very similar to this when, when he said that we might know God, uh, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. To know God, to know Jesus Christ. If I had a glass of milk up here, and we're all familiar with milk, and we could, I could tell you all that you might say, how much calcium and all the nutrients that are there and how much it weighs and so on. But we can know all about it, so to speak. But really, that milk will not do us a lot of good until it becomes part of our life. When we drink the milk, it flows through our veins. It gives, it gives energy. It gives, you might say, it gives strength and so on. And I believe there is a sense of truth in our knowing God. And that's when we come to the place where we allow Him to become, where we become part of Him. Where we're willing to know Him and not only understand about Him, who God is, He was a creator, that's true, but God is a living God. And I'm so thankful this morning that we can come to a God that is a living God that can speak to us today. We have His written word, but we also have, we have God as, says He is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And my burden this morning is that when we make this commitment to Jesus Christ, to God, that we want to follow through to the end. We are here this morning to to witness that, and it is something that you're doing. You might say there's six of you here, but at the same time, it is something that is very personal. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the message at the day of Pentecost, and at the end of the message, he he said that this same Christ, whom we have crucified, 
this Jesus whom you have crucified is Lord and Christ. And it says their hearts were pricked. And they came and said, what shall we do? And he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In other words, this is something that nobody else can do for you. It is something that is my personal responsibility to, to make this confession, this testimony that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And that I want him to be Lord of my life. I want him to be the one that is in control. And I think it's important that we know that God has a will for us. We're not just a person. I believe that every person is special to God. I believe that that baptism gives an identity. You are identifying yourself with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about the children of Israel being baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And it's been used sometimes to argue the mode of baptism. I don't really believe this is what God put that scripture there for, but I believe he was saying that the people of Israel were to follow Moses. They were to identify with Christ in going through the wilderness. And I believe that baptism... Today, your commitment is that I am identifying with Jesus Christ. It says the people were first called Christians at Antioch because they, they were following Christ. They were, they were giving a testimony of, of the life of Christ within them. And this, I believe, is part of the meaning. Uh, this is what baptism is, is saying that I am identifying with Christ. We're living in a world that has sin and has hurts and has lots of problems. But I do not believe there's any life that we can live here on this earth that brings more fulfillment and satisfaction than to be in the will of God. That is what God has created us to be. There is nothing that you can do. There's many people are trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in, in other things, in the lust of the flesh, but they will never get it. They will never experience that fullness outside of Jesus Christ. We baptize with pouring, and I believe it's in order. I'm certainly not saying it's, it's the only baptism. I'm sure some of them have heard uh, this testimony before where we had spent some time in Moldova and the Sunday we were there, there was a family that was, was being baptized. Uh, Nico, Ina, and Luda. A father and his two daughters. And there was another family in the church that had come from a Pentecostal background that had felt like the only baptism is immersion, that we are not saved. If And somehow he decided to give Luda, the younger daughter, 
this information and to tell her that you are not saved unless you are immersed. And, and she was troubled. I did not even know this was in the making at the time, but she, was, she wanted to be saved. She wanted to be sure that she was saved, and yet she wasn't sure what to do. And she had prayed that evening that if it's God's will that she could, that if she's baptized by pouring, that it would be all right. And the next morning, she had prayed that it would snow that night, that the water, that the ground would be white with snow. I did not know it. I guess the bishop in charge didn't know it at the time. The weather forecasters didn't know it. It wasn't forecasted. But the next morning, the ground was white with snow. She was satisfied. And I believe it was an act of God to take away that doubt that was in her mind in relation to being baptized by pouring he, I don't know how far the snow went around us or how far it went out, but everything that we seen where we were at had about an inch and a half of white snow because it was God's, I believe God's answer to her prayer. Baptism is giving yourself to the grace of God I'd like to turn back to, I'd like to look at some of the things that God has done that we cannot do. It's, it's that which makes the Christian walk of life possible. If we go to Ephesians chapter 2, we have, in the first chapter, we, it's about God and His, His, uh, His work in building the church. It talks about Jesus Christ. And redeeming, it talks about the Holy Spirit and in what the, uh, our, as far as our, in, in, um, it, it, seal of, uh, 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 earnest of our inheritance is what it calls unto the redemption of the purchased possession. It's a seal of God that is with us. We have that in the church. And baptism is not only identifying you with Christ, but it's identifying you with a with a local body, being part of the body of of Christ. But in, in chapter two it says, "And you hath he quickened." In other, in other words, this word "quicken" here is to make alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You are part, you might say, of this will of God part of the church like I said God has a will for you it says wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh at the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation times past and lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, for which he loved us. And verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. 
lest any man should, uh, it's a gift of God. And, and we want to recognize the power of God in salvation. We realize there's sin, we realize there's temptations, there's trials. But I want to say this morning that the power of God is greater than the power of the devil. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us two ways. One is the straight and the narrow, the way that God has for us, and it's, it's following God. And the other way, the broad way, is has a God too. And that God is Satan. We will not get through life without trials, without temptations. But I, I would like to say that there is sufficient grace that we do not need to bow to the God, Satan. We can see that in the Old Testament when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. When they crossed that river, the power of Egypt had been broken. And I would like to say to you this morning that when you have committed your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that that power is broken. Now, I'm certainly not here to say that there's never failures. But I do say that the power of God is sufficient. I would just like to look at some areas in life that I think are very important in, in victorious Christian living. It has been mentioned too in relation to, to Naaman. But if we go to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we have the Beatitudes there. And I believe it's that lays a groundwork for, for growing in our Christian experience. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talk, he talked about humility some, and I believe that without humility, we will never be successful in our Christian experience. We'll never, we'll never be able to, to be, be, be victorious in our Christian experience. And, the Bible tells us that God, we are saved by God's grace. The grace of God is something that we cannot make. It is only something that we can accept as God gives it to us. And for example, when we're offended, and somebody has done something to us that has that is a hurt, and we need to forgive. I believe that God gives grace to forgive. Well, we say it was a big hurt. It was something that is, is extremely hurtful. It's God's grace is still bigger. I've seen one time where a person put four, put a little square on, a bigger square, and another bigger square, and then he came back to it and said, this is the hurt. And then he said, God's grace is the circle. You had a circle around this one, a circle around that one. I've never had to forgive somebody for killing any of my children, like many people have, especially in the time of persecution. I didn't need grace for that because I didn't have that. But I do believe that when it does happen, God's grace is sufficient. I've heard testimonies 
especially in Russia back in times when they wanted this young man to go to serve and he didn't serve just to make it short he, they came out and beat this child to death and the mother prayed for that soldier she made it a, a daily prayer that this person it was some time later she went to prayer meeting they were meeting in houses and when she got there they were inside praying and she knelt on the porch and just prayed there and somebody came up and kicked her and she looked and she says, what are you doing? The soldier said, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying. And when she looked up here, it was the same person that had killed her son. She says, oh, I was praying for you. And this soldier broke. He became a Christian because of that testimony. But there's grace. God is able to meet our needs as we, as we come to him. But now we're coming back to our responsibility. The Bible says, humble yourselves. James says, humble yourselves. Peter has humble yourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And how do we humble ourselves? How do we, how do we know that we are humble? I remember some years ago, a person said that there's seeds of pride in every person. Well, I, I, I'm not arguing that, but how do we know if we're humble? or if we're proud. We often go by opposites. You know, if we say pride is an exalted opinion of ourself, then humility must be making a nothing out of ourself. But there's a problem with that. The Bible also says that every man, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Can a person give the whole world? There is something about every person that is here this evening that is very valuable to God. You have a soul. It is something that God holds of higher value than all that we have here. And I'm not saying that that we we rise to the place where we think we're really something. But what is humility? Maybe some... I believe when we're pride, there's self-love. We're often critical. It focuses on the faults of other people. Humility edifies. Self-love is defensive. Humility examines oneself. And I think the list goes on. But coming back to humility and to identify humility, I believe to know God is at heart of being humble. When we're humble, we exalt God. When we're proud, we exalt self. And if in exalting self we do not exalt God but I I believe if we look at these beatitudes it's like stair steps we will not become we will not live in the second one unless we live in the first one the second beatitude blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted 
is talking about repentance. We talked about repentance this morning in our Sunday school class. And what is repentance? It is that of turning from sin to God. We'll take time this morning, but I believe if we look at Peter's repentance, it didn't say what Peter, that he really repented, but obviously he did. And Judas, he went back to the high priest that he had asked, taken this, made that commitment. He gave back the silver. He said he betrayed innocent blood, and, and he was sorry. But there's one thing that Judas did not do, and that is come back to God. Rather than coming back to God, he killed himself. He was not a saved person. I believe true repentance brings us back to God. And the next beatitude is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Maybe the best way to understand meekness, blessed are the meek. And I've always appreciated the definition that we have in the Vines Bible Dictionary, where it says that meekness is not, first of all, a relation with other people, but meekness is when we accept God's will without disputing. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have Isaiah having that vision of the presence of God. It said that it filled his it filled the temple uh, where he was at. It, there was, it was something that was uh, very, very noticeable. It says, In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting in the throne and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings, with twenty covered his face, with twenty covered his feet, with twenty did fly. And one cried unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of glory. This is humility. A sense of the presence of God. And because of seeing, sensing the holiness of God, he recognized that he had unclean lips. And he yielded himself to the live coal and touched his lips and he was cleansed. And that's repentance. And then he heard this voice from heaven. He said, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I'd like to leave this with you. I believe humility is very basic to know God. To understand that God is a reality. It's not just our thoughts. It's not faith isn't just that we can somehow make in our mind make our mind believe that there is. It is God is reality. Sense the presence of God. Be prayerful. Let's remember that prayer is more than words. It's a life. In Matthew chapter 6, where it gives them out of prayer, it's our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Prayer is, first of all, a commitment of my life to God. Bible reading is so important to keep through. 
Bible reading is more than words. There's, there's power, there's life there. Fill your life with the presence of God and you will be true to the end. And may God bless you this morning as that commitment is made that you may sense the presence of God. You may sense God's will as he directs you in life. It isn't something that all comes at one time, but as you allow God to direct your life, he will, and you will find the the most fulfillment that we can experience on this side of heaven. May God bless you. Let's kneel to pray.